You're listening to This Is How, a podcast about people forging digital careers for people who are taking the time to figure things out. Whether you've just left school, college or uni, or you're already in a job, but you're not really feeling it, we've made a podcast series for the tips, ideas and free advice from people who have been on similar journeys, changed things up and gone on to work in digital roles with some of the most interesting brands in the UK. I'm Will Stowe, proudly from Hackney, an ear and shoulder to those around me. I work for Sneakers as a co-host on Sneakers Live. We have regular live streams to talk all things sneaker culture. I also write poetry, make music and throw parties in my spare time. I'm Zoe Mallet. I'm a life coach and radio show host. My coaching focuses on helping people figure out where they are, where they want to be, and then we work out how we're going to get them there. I also have a radio show on Foundation FM, which allows listeners to message in with all their problems. And my guests and I offer our professional advice and tips live on a mix with some bangers. So we're here on This Is How podcast. Uh, we've got Sam from Snap um, and I'm going to let him, you know, introduce himself so I don't do it any uh, injustice. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, so Sam Bevan, I'm the director of Snapchat's Emerging Amir business. And kind of a lot of people are like, what is emerging? Uh, so emerging is looking after startup brands, digital disruptors um, in well, the advertising space. So working with some really cool disruptive brands across the region. And yeah, I've been here for just over five and a half years now. And then my background before that was at Facebook and Google. Um, before that was kind of a couple of startups myself and a whole mishmash of random sales jobs, accounting and all of that jazz. So yeah, really excited to be here. And we are going to get into all of that in more detail. But first, we are going to play our favourite game, Two Truths and a Lie. I feel like we need like a, should be like a little jingle. Like a tune. Yeah. Shall I go? Go, 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 go. I can't, I'm going to laugh now. I was going to whistle. Yeah? Yeah? Uh, I think you need to work on that one. Let's work on that one a little bit. We've been really good. We started off the, the season like not doing so well, but now we're... We're on it. We're on it. No pressure again. Okay, well, first off, I was brought up in India. Next one was, I used to play Adele at badminton. And then the final one is I got to the final 20 of the Apprentice Series 4. Ooh, these are good. These are very good. Was Adele good at badminton? Uh, yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> she could have written some pretty tragic songs about it, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. And then um, Apprentice. Um, that's a tough one, because you said, what was your background outside of social media and uh, the tech businesses? Well, I just did a kind of load of internships, mishmash of different things, so... Text, text what I'm known for, I'd say. I think The Apprentice is true. The India one as well, though, don't forget about that. Whereabouts in India? Uh, towards the southern tip in a place called Bangalore. What did your parents do for work? Uh, my mum's a teacher, and then my dad is an accountant. The India yeah, one is so mad, yeah. <laughs> so which one do you think's a lie? I think the India one. Okay. Or maybe, gonna... maybe the Adele one is. I'm going to support you and say that's a lie as well. No, because now I'm now I'm now I'm questioning myself. Okay, I think I think actually the um, the Adele one's the fib. It is Adele was a fib. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell us about India. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. I was uh, aged four to nine out there, and then I went back when I was eighteen for a year as well. Originally went because my uh, dad's job, um, and yeah, it was amazing to be brought up in a 
very different culture to the UK. Um, and yeah, no, it's a beautiful place and highly recommend everyone to go visit. Okay, so let's go, let's go back. Uh, were you one of those kids who was always selling stuff in the playground? Uh, not necessarily selling stuff, but always trying to find ways to make money. Um, so yeah, at school, I was heading up a couple of the young enterprise type programs. And then at home, I was always finding ways to fix things and do gardening jobs, tasks like that, cleaning cars or whatever it needed to be. So you're always someone who's been driven uh, to make a bit of spare cash on the side. Where do you think that like that came from, like that drive? I think a lot of it's probably um, the way I was brought up. I think in India, it was, yeah, country, like I said, going through a lot of change at the time. And you're just surrounded by people who are trying to make themselves better, continue being grateful for things like their education. And I think for me, I struggled at school uh, quite a bit. And it was something which I always just found passion was getting my hands into something doing something which didn't necessarily need me to be reading a textbook and yeah always had that kind of strive to not necessarily do the best of my academics but push myself in different ways um and then what about in the classroom what were you like at school were you a troublemaker calm kid <laughs> what were you like well depends who's listening uh, you're gonna call me out on this one um i was someone who was big into helping the local community which got me a lot of brownie points at school. So I did a lot with uh, the student council. I ended up heading that up as well as things like the eco council where I was always trying to help the school progress um, and through a number of different causes, which got me a lot of brownie points with the leadership. But I did also get sent to their uh, doorstep quite a fair <laughs> amount. <laughs> so I think, yeah, we're discussing for the show. I'm dyslexic, so struggled a bit with some of the core subjects and at times that led me being a little bit mischievous uh, more than I wish to admit now. Um, but yeah, I always had enough brownie points in my back pocket to charm my way into not getting into too much trouble. <laughs> Perfect balance. <laughs> Whether they agree or not, I don't know. <laughs> so did you did you have a big plan? Like, did you do A-levels? Yeah, I think I came from, uh, I was very fortunate and privileged to come from a very academic background family. And so I think at first my parents actually quite struggled with what to do with me because unlike my brother and sister, I wasn't naturally just getting straight A stars and A's at school. And then when it came to A levels and AS levels, I think that was probably the first time I learned exactly where I need to kind of focus myself because originally chose a bunch of subjects, which I thought looked good on paper, but actually I wasn't good at. And I very quickly noticed that if you want to do well at something, you really need to be passionate about it. And so I, th I think school taught me a lot of important life lessons, which I'm glad they happened then uh, yeah. than I did now. But yeah, really didn't have like a big, my big plan originally was to go into accounting because that's what I thought was the right thing to do because it's what my dad did, my brother did, my uncles and my aunties did. But yeah, for someone who can't really do maths to the highest ability, uh, it was never really going to be a career for me. Uh, so when did you when do you think you realised that you you wanted to kind of make sure you were doing something that you were passionate about and that was kind of the more important thing? Yeah, I think for me the again the life moment, which still to be honest gives me nightmares and gets me up at um, now and then, is getting my uh, AS results. Where GCSEs, I was fortunate that I kind of floated by. I did pretty well 
I didn't revise at all, um, but I seemed to get some pretty decent grades, um, which was great. But then with AS levels, I went in thinking I knew it all. I could just swan in, get there. And I do remember that year being in a lot of lessons, being like, I am not getting this stuff. This is bad. And then, yeah, in the I remember getting those results. Um, I remember I actually walked out of one of my exams. And so for maths, I knew it was going to be a, a tough one that I was going to have to face the parents on. And so I remember opening that envelope in the car park of the school and first grade maths was an E. And I was like, oh, don't know how I'm going to face, <laughs> face the mum on this one. And then I remember scrolling up in geography, which I actually thought I did quite well in that paper, was another E. And I was like, oh gosh, this is not not the trend that I'm expecting. And then history went up to a D and I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and then economics, which for someone who's always been quite, again, this is a classic example where I did economics because I thought it sounded more intelligent on paper than business. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was another E there. And yeah, I remember having to go see my head of sick form where to be honest, I wasn't really meant to come back based on those grades to finish my A-levels because they were just too low. Um, but like I said, those brownie points of being a bit of a goody two-shoes in other parts of the school, let them give me a second chance. But that was a real eye-opener of, I need to find things that I'm passionate about, that I need to put effort in to learn because otherwise, yeah, it's just going to be a flunk. Okay. Mm. And then what subjects did you switch to then? So unfortunately, the way the system set up, I had to kind of drill down and stick to those subjects. Um, and yeah, it was a, one of those ones where I also learned that perseverance. And if you really put your head to it, even if you, you don't love it in the time, you can grasp the basics. And so, yeah, and I remember that January I had to sit, I think it was something crazy, like 22 exams back to back. Wow. Everything from the year prior and wow. then do that half exams. And yeah, managed to recover my grades a bit. Um, to get me into university, which was the main thing. But yeah, as soon as I got to university, I switched instantly just to doing business. And then, yeah, well, three and a bit years later, graduated with the first class honours, which I think it showed that, again, someone who I don't call myself an academic in the slightest, but it showed when I was passionate doing a subject that I cared about, I could still do well in it. Let's talk internships. Um, what did you do? And um, yeah, which one? Yeah, which ones did you do? And what did you learn? I did a shocking amount of internships. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it was about five or six. Um, and this was all in space, like two years. I think when I was at university, I had that penny drop moment. My dad had already told me like, you're probably not going to be an accountant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you need a maths grade for that. Um, and he always flirted that idea of sales or marketing in my eyes. And I think with sales and marketing, there's such broad areas of business. Of and I think when people naturally think of sales, they think of like used car salesmen, which <laughs> don't get me wrong, is a great career, but it's not one which I kind of was naturally inspired by. And so what I wanted to do is really understand different aspects of sales, consulting, marketing. And so, yeah, I did my first one was well, what I actually noticed was the hardest was getting the first internship because every internship wanted you to have experience, which mm. I think is something which I hear from a lot of young people is still happening today and makes my blood boil because I was someone who was constantly being rejected. So the first one was, um, like I said, in India, uh, where I went over and learned about software sales and SaaS sales. And 
again, that was just amazing because just saw a real thriving environment of people working in, I'm not going to lie, not so great conditions, hussing and driving and making their way through the world and progressing. And that really got my blood pumping that I was like, okay, I want to be in that, like an engine room. Came out to the UK, wanted to have one more attempt to look at finance. So I did a finance internship at a charity. Probably the worst summer of my life. It was just, no offense if they're listening, amazing people. Um, but blimey, I was literally, I remember putting expenses into a system from paper to digital because this is before all these softwares existed. And then like auditing people's miles and how much gallons they used. And what, again, I remember just making up half the forms because I couldn't be bothered to do the maths. Um, so <laughs> sorry if you're listening, probably made some mistakes there. Um, <laughs> and then moved into, um, got a great opportunity um, selling insurance um, to kids. Uh, so Ensley Insurance, so students to get their bikes insured, their phones insured. And that was just an amazing experience because it was field sales. You weren't behind a phone. You were literally meeting people face to face as they're arriving for their first days at university, making sure that they've got all their equipment uh, fully insured, their bikes insured, their helmets insured. And yeah, learn a lot in that around every penny counts because at the time I remember it was kind of funny being like, why do I care if someone's got their helmet insured? Like what that's 50 P on top of their excess. Like, is that really going to make or break my quota? Is it really going to change the performance of our region? But you very quickly realized a lot of these companies, the power of numbers. So yes, that 50 P deal, you times it by 2000 students every single month. Yeah. It starts adding up. Um, and then because that got me into uh, enterprise rent a car, uh, which Great graduate scheme. I think a lot of people do it, but yeah, it was a bit of an odd one. I was wearing a suit cleaning cars, um, which wasn't quite what I thought we were signing up to. But I think with that one, it taught me customer service is key. Yeah. Company, which I think rental companies, I think people have got their opinions on them, but that was a company which really knew in order to get people to trust them. It was all about that front of face, how you greet, meet clients. And they even had things like, um, the phone can only ring twice type policy, teaching you that people want you to be responsive, the urgency. And so I think, yeah, all of these internships in their own different ways kind of help shape me, mold me. And as much as, yeah, I, I take the mick out of some of them now, honestly, very grateful to all those companies to give me a chance because they really taught me different aspects of business in very different ways. And you know, you mentioned that, it, and it's still apparently like this today that it's really hard for young people to get internships because they need experience and when you don't have any experience it's, it's, it's really hard what advice can you give to young people who maybe don't have any experience at all and they're like they're trying they're applying um and they're not seeming to kind of get much of a response yes great question and i'm mentoring a couple of kids at the moment and i think it's two things one don't give up i think it's well, I can put it bluntly, I applied for 56 internships and got rejected from all of them in my first year. So it, I think perseverance does play into it. Um, I say the other thing, which I say to a lot of young people is if, you, if you're fortunate to have connections, 
even if it's not for the sexiest job in the world, like I was working for this small, tiny charity, like I said, moving numbers from one piece of paper to another, but just getting that first piece of experience on your CV allows you to build off and elaborate and go from. And so I think often people, when they think of their internship, they always think, oh, I need to do it at this amazing big company. But that's not the case. Like your first internship, just get something on paper, get any experiences experience. And like I said, you can learn something from all of them. And so I think perseverance and not to, don't need to say word snobby, but don't turn yourself up at maybe opportunities that seem smaller on paper, because actually sometimes the smaller companies that I've had the fortune of partnering with or working with are the ones I've learned the most from. What do you look for at interns at Snap? I think the number one is someone with passion and someone who wants to fundamentally learn and make a change. And I think that can be in a multitude of different ways. But I think when I yeah, meet candidates, first thing I want to know is about them as a person, what gets them motivated, why they're applying for this job, and what is it about this opportunity in particular that really interests them. The amount of interns that turn up to interviews and they don't actually really know the job that they're applying for. They haven't done their basic research. And I just think if you want to stand out, come knowing something about the company that you like, think it's cool, something that gets you out of bed to work here. And then two, I think that, like I say, in that overarching, what is about that job in particular that you're hoping to learn from? And it doesn't have to be a big elaborate reason, but just something. Because I think that's the question which I probably see the most people trip up on is not having that why this company or why this opportunity. So when you were doing your own uh, internships, what was it that you were doing that helped you create like a good impression? I'm a very competitive person. And so whatever I was doing, I always was trying to be the best. And so if I was cleaning cars in a suit, my cars were going to look the best on that forecourt. And I think it was just took pride in my work and always asking for feedback. People often say, I ask for feedback and don't get it. But the thing I always challenge about, are you actually listening? Mm. The amount of times people get feedback and they don't necessarily listen to it or ask for people to build on. And so I think for me, yeah, for my internships, what I got some really good advice from a mentor of mine at the time where he was just like, no matter how big a job, big or small a job, make sure you take pride in it, you learn from it, and ask people how you did it. And I think it was just really good feedback that I've taken to everything that I've done in my career so far. So as well as like the big jobs that you had at like Facebook, Google, Snapchat, were there any other jobs that you were kind of doing in between those? Uh, so at university, I, well, at school, I set up my own little thing, um, which taught me um, a bit of my entrepreneurial flair. God, it was a, well, it was literally a magazine promoting services for kids. Uh, so driving instructors, tutors, school students directory. Um, I know I'm, I'm still, still sold <laughs> on the idea. Um, and did that for uh, a couple of years and yeah, had some reasonable success through it, won a couple of awards and things like that. I just, yeah, I think for me, I've always tried to do a couple of things on the side and at the moment I'm, my job's quite busy. And so what I've really tried to do now is where I spend my time is actually partnering with a lot of charities, a lot of NGOs to learn other skills, which maybe I wouldn't gain in the corporate world. And have you done any additional training? 
over the last like few years like out of kind of university yeah i think training's a fun one where i think everyone always assumes it has to be like a formalized course mm. and i have been fortunate to do quite a few courses um be it on managing people um right the way through to sales coaching sales training motivational xyz but i think for me the best training i've always got has been on the job i think that may be again leading into my dyslexia a bit i'm not someone reading from a book and taking much in i think it's going back to the always asking for feedback whatever you're doing i think that's the best training you're ever going to get and uh, my manager who i've been very fortunate to always have an amazing set of managers and my current manager just been incredible at always being very open give me feedback and also me being receptive to receive feedback that maybe I don't want to hear, but it's going to change me uh, for the right ways. And so I think with training, I always, I think there are amazing courses out there. I think XYZ, I don't want to belittle them, but I, for me, I always think the best training has been on the job, that constant feedback loop. Because again, you're in your career for 30, 40 years. Like you can constantly be learning regardless of, yeah, that time period. Facts. I'd I'd say um just listening to everything you've said, you clearly have like a great level of self confidence and like I feel like you reflect and very self aware as well. But like you said, you've had like a line of managers. Is there like um any mentors that you've had like and I'm sure the managers would fall into that as well, but is there any particular mentors that you had that have helped you along the way? Yeah, I think my pretty much all of my former bosses have turned out to be mentors for me at some point i think before this call i was discussing with you in the past i've got a bit of philosophy with mentors where similar to friends you had them for a reason a season or for life and i know so <laughs> i think it's originally used for a buddha way of looking at friendships but i think you can apply it uh, to your mentors where i think a lot of people go out there looking for a mentor and don't really allow themselves to find mentors in an organic fashion. And I think for me, yeah, my former manager at Snap, Radhika Kakar, who's um, been with me at the company for pretty much my entire time there, hasn't managed me for the last four, has always been like a safe haven for me to really actually be like, hey, I've got a lot going on in my mind. I just need someone to listen. I just need you to take this in, digest it, not judge me. And then also be my biggest cheerleader uh, when maybe I've got a bit of self-doubt, a bit panicked about something. And then my current manager is another great example of just someone who's constantly there to ideate, brainstorm, and help me solve problems. Mm. And so I think you can tell they're just my last two mentors that I've started working with, all playing very different reasons uh, for their support. And then I've got like life mentors where I kind of put my parents into that bucket, but I've got one of my teachers who I still stay in contact with a lot where, again, don't really speak to them probably every six months or so. It's not like a frequent connection, but when we do is it's almost like a life check where I've got to with certain things and holding me accountable to goals that I set myself. And I had some amazing coaching about a year and a half ago, two years ago, where they encouraged me to write a letter to myself at the beginning of each year of at the end of the year, what I hope to have achieved. Mm. And I noticed actually one, that process, I highly recommend it. It sounds cheesy, but it's, it does get into a good mindset at the beginning of the year. But I realized I've actually already been doing that with a couple of my mentors where 
I catch up with them and like, oh, so last time you talked about um, you were going to move back to London. Like, has that happened yet? Like, if not, why not? <laughs> like, you, you clearly want to be close to your family. That was something important to you. Like, where are you on that journey? And so, yeah, I think with mentors, it's such a broad topic. And for me, it's always been finding those mentors, appreciating the ones that are there for, to help you with that, that point in time, uh, with the challenge you're facing, ones who are there for really just being that life coach to be your biggest cheerleader. And then there's ones which, again, are going to be with you for a certain stage of your career, where maybe you're going through a promotion, you're stepping into management for the first time, and they can give you that more proactive day-to-day support. Yeah. And we've spoken about this uh, a couple of times on the podcast before, but when like you're approaching somebody like most of the time people like helping right and people like talking about themselves and and sharing their experiences so just being a bit more I guess a bit brave and just asking people and even like you're saying like going out and meeting people but like you you can even do that on LinkedIn right you can just like find somebody who's got maybe a job Mm -hmm. that you quite like the look of and just like DM them and say I've just seen you, I've just come across your profile and your experience looks like really interesting. Can I ask you a couple of questions? And, you know, nine times out of 10, people are more like more than likely to, to help out, aren't they? Well, if you think about it, most people on LinkedIn, they're just getting pestered by salespeople like <laughs> me, uh, asking them for things. And so, yeah, I've, I find it incredibly refreshing. I've reached out to people cold where I've maybe seen there have been an article, they've just got a job, which I'm very interested in finding out more about. And then I literally talking of which last two weeks ago I did a piece in Forbes around dyslexic awareness and how companies need to do more in the workplace and shared a little bit about my story there overnight I had about 20 30 kids reach out to me and yeah five or six of them gelled with them quite well and kind of talking to them semi-frequently now or again others are just yeah it was a quick 10 minute chat wasn't necessarily going through similar challenges and again I'm not saying you're going to get a response from everyone and again I've hold my hands up I probably haven't responded to everyone at times but yeah if you don't ask you don't get um and I think a lot of people just what literally what's the worst that's going to happen there's going to be a message maybe slightly cringeworthy because you fanboy or fangirl someone and <laughs> online like that the worst the worst thing that's going to exist is a message which is sat in someone Mormon's inbox surrounded by a hundred salespeople pestering them about whether they want this that that so I, I, I yeah I 100% agree with you I think not being afraid to reach out you've been listening to this is how created by nominet and liberty your essential resource for finding a path into digital careers with the brands that you love head over to thisishow.uk to listen to more episodes and discover free training and advice to help you land your dream job you can also give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is thisishow.uk to keep up to date with regular tips and resources to help you on your career journey. Could you break down like what your, your day-to-day is like? Oof, that is a hard one. Um, my team's across seven different markets. Uh, there's a lot of them. And so naturally, the days don't necessarily uh, follow too much of a routine. Um but typically what I try to do is I get up early. I'm a firm believer that get up, have a cold shower, really energize yourself in the morning. I've stopped actually having my mobile phone in my bedroom recently. Uh, so the first hour is a bit of a tech-free zone for me. Apart from I do Blair, my Spotify playlist around the house, hyping myself up for the day. Again, won't go. What are you listening to? 
This is where I am mortifiedly embarrassed. I'm like, <laughs> my music taste is bad. It's very like 80s. Go on, give it to us. Give it to us. This is personal. And I do love Adele, hence the fun fact. Oh, yeah. Everyone, who doesn't love Adele? I think I'm the only one who treats Adele as hype music, though. <laughs> well, like in the gym and stuff, yeah? <laughs> Wherever I can. That's quite strong. That's different. Uh, but no, I like, lo love 80s and all kind of, yeah, very cheesy music. Um, but yeah, morning is very tech-free get my mind straight, take the dog for a walk. Um, if some, yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays go to the gym, very much kind of me time. Then sit down at my desk. First thing which I always do is look at my day ahead, really making sure that I'm prioritizing what needs to get done that day, as opposed to what's a nice to have by the end of day. And I think really separating your day into those two is really important. And the first thing I do is I literally write on, I've got these obnoxiously big yellow uh, sticky pads on my desk and I write, these are the things you have to get done, Sam, before you leave tonight, uh, just to really make sure when I'm constantly checking in. And then, yeah, my day consists of interviewing people um, to join our team, meeting with clients around helping them scale on our platforms, right the way through to engaging with our community um, of advertisers in multiple different forums, events, et cetera. And then, yeah, building strategy, structure, and helping my team achieve our ambitious goals. Sounds like a lot in one day. <laughs> like I said, two, I have some days where it'll be just full on back to back 15 interviews. And then I'll have other days where I'll kind of do more strategy and focus and partner with my cross-functional support so no two days are the same do you like that though that it's like it's like super varied i think for someone who's kind of dyslexic and struggles to focus on things mm. it's great um but i think yeah the risk with it is because i can get very easily distracted is those yellow post-it notes yeah. again occasionally I, I got a puppy uh 18 months ago and she occasionally grabs them and if they if they get taken in the morning around for yeah eleven or twelve, it's questionable what I'm going to get done that day because <laughs> that was my focus. But yeah, very much um, yeah, I, I love the scrappy nature of it, and I think it just allows you to flex different muscles, different days. And yeah, if you're not feeling something one day, you can shift your calendar about to try again. I, I think with all jobs, there's tasks which you don't enjoy doing of course. and I think it's really important in work to understand where you get your energy from and those days which you're having your lulls don't do the crappy tasks on like move those to days uh, where you're in your highs and you can just beast them out quickly and so I think for me yeah I also do these have a grid for tasks where makes high impact needs to be done on this column and then doesn't make much impact doesn't really need to be done and then kind of put all of my job into those quadrants um to make sure again i'm doing the right thing at the right time when my head's in the right place of course you've um you spoke a lot about your managers but um for you what's it like being a manager yeah i think it's it's humbling i think it's one which incredibly privileged to manage i have some amazing people on my team and i think it's daunting at first i think yeah, I, I expect a lot from my manager and they expect that from me. And I think for me, I'm someone who I can fall into that people-pleasing category at times, always trying to make sure I'm helping them, supporting them, doing the right thing by them. And yeah, I think it's 
a fine balance of trying to make sure that you're there for them, but also looking after yourself so you can be there for them in the right way. And so, yeah, it's a baptism of fire the first couple of years, making sure you're doing it the right way. Um, but I think what I've learned very quickly is what people appreciate from their manager is someone who's just genuine, honest with them, gives them advice and supports them. And I think one thing's which we talk a lot about it snaps philosophy to management is your boss works for you. You don't work for your boss. Mm -hmm. And it's really about how can I enable you to do your job? Not about how can you make Sam look all great singing and dancing. And I think having that mindset is a really great way of building trust and those relationships with your teams. Mm. I like that. Yeah, I like that. I've never heard that before. I'm tell my boss today. <laughs> <laughs> you work for me, mate. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, sales. What are sales skills? Broad question, but it's a good question. I think for me, sales skills is ultimately, can you build relationships with people? Um, and can you build trust? I think it's funny. You can see all these webinars, trainings, you can go on for sales school and yada, yada. And I think there there are definitely ways you can sell and shouldn't sell. But I think ultimately, snap. Well, it's not snap, sorry, sales boils down to your ability to build trust between people mm. and build relationships quickly. And so I think a lot of what I coach when I'm talking to salespeople is like, again, be yourself, be authentic, bring your energy, bring your passion. If you're talking to someone about whatever product you're talking to sell and you clearly don't care about it, they're never going to buy it from you. Mm. And so it's a lot about someone who's able to, yeah, have a lot of self-confidence, self-belief, um, and then more importantly, build quick relationships with people and trust. And what does a sales job look like in a tech company? I think it's really interesting. A lot of people don't necessarily think of tech and then, oh, sales. I think they assume everybody's engineers or they're doing all of the amazing technological projects. That's what I used to think, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I know, I think coding and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I, I do not know a word of coding. I wish I did. Um, but yeah, I think sales in tech companies is you're ultimately the face of the business and you're trying to help businesses understand how they can use your products and services to scale theirs. And so a lot of what you're doing is explaining, going through, giving updates and building partnerships wherever you can mm. for brands to be able to connect with your company. And so I think a lot of what the key of it is, again, building those partnership networks for the business um, and making sure you're helping people understand what your company's doing. And so it's a lot of information and sharing of knowledge. And and what what kind of skills do you look for and what type of like characteristics do you like to see uh, in your in your team? I think for me. Again, it's very similar to kind of the interns. I think you're looking for someone who's passionate. At the end of the day, if you can't sell me that you want a job at my at the company, then how are you going to sell a product on our behalf? And so I'm looking for someone who's got that passion, got that fire to want to be there and then ultimately represent your brand with pride. And then I think the other thing which I always really look for in a candidate is someone who's put themselves in the customer's shoes for your product. And then when you're discussing it with them in an interview, it's really bringing to life like, okay, actually if I was a customer, I'd think X, Y, Z. 
I think this is what us as a company or you as a company would need to do in order to convince me. Mm. I think, yeah, all the best salespeople are the people who put themselves in the foot of the customer, understand what the customer needs are and leads through customer centric service. Mm. And so I think people who bring that mindset into interviews always stand out. That's really interesting you said that because we've had a few people on the podcast that I've spoke about services that they've used that they've now gone to work for basically and talking about like when they were using it they were thinking this could be done like this or should be done like that and all that kind of stuff whatever but then ended up working there which is like quite a full circle thing so yeah totally understand it should definitely be seen from a consumer's point of view for sure and some of our best hires have been ex-clients so i think again you can very quickly see people who are solution-led want to solve problems for you and again that's salespeople. You're taking a company's tools and you're solving a problem for all that business. Of course. And so it's people who are very kind of solution orientated. Would you say that then like passion and drive is more important than the actual experience or skills that that somebody has? It's always going to be a balance for certain roles. Yeah, um, yeah. However, I am a firm believer that, yeah, passion th- thrives through. And I think I've got so many examples on my team where probably not hired on paper, the most relevant candidate for the role. However, just their determination, passion, and the way they position themselves, we would have been crazy not to hire them. And so I think a lot of the time, yes, there are going to be box ticking things that you need as a minimum for a lot of jobs, which you can pro con analyze that. But I think ultimately what shows through is people who are passionate to be there and have really thought about how they can drive impact in that role. How can you tell if somebody's passionate before you've actually seen them like what kind of what do they do to kind of stand out through like a cover letter i guess or like an application process again i think for me it's in a cover letters it's very very quickly highlighting why that company what about it's really exciting them what about their current experience they think can help solve problems for our partners and then i think the other thing is a cv which is very just to the point about how that's going to actually support and aid my team. And I think one of the things which I love that people have started doing is looking at the job description online and then starting to marry their CV's language to it. So if we're saying we want someone who's customer centric, of course, put in your CV somewhere where you've shown you're customer centric. If we're saying we want X, Y, Z, Again, not verbatim, copy everything is a bit obvious then, but really it shows that you've gone to the effort of really understanding the job, the company, the ethos. And then when you, I think one of the other things is when you're asking questions, one of the biggest things is the questions that candidates ask me are often really that make or break for me of how serious they've taken the process, how much prep they've done, how much they really want and understand the business. And there anything else that really kind of like stands out on a CV or something that you kind of, when you are looking at CV, you're looking for a particular thing? I think the opening statement at the top of a CV is really important where you can get that fine balance of telling us not just about who you are in your academic, not in your academic and your professional career, but actually tell us something about yourself. So that kind of opening paragraph that people have at the top of their CVs, highlighting maybe some of your passion projects, some things that you're really inspired by and something that also makes you quite interesting as an individual. 
So this is the part of the episode where we go through your CV and then Will and I decide whether we would employ you in our company that we don't actually have. It's growing. I haven't interviewed in five and a half years, so I'm a bit rusty, but let's see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's kick off with um, your, your best failure. I think for me, where I learned the most was when I was first setting up teams in international markets didn't spend enough time really getting to understand the importance of different cultures and making sure that as a company, we're representing ourselves correctly in market, but also for our employers, our employees, making sure that we are making them feel comfortable and getting the best out of them. And I think it's a kind of funny example, but it's one which always sticks with me where I won't say his name, but first promotion in the business uh, based in the Middle East and doesn't drink. Um, And also the way that you do delivery in certain markets in the Middle East, it's cash on delivery. And so I ordered him to congratulate him, bottle of champagne and some cookies. And then when they arrived, he had to one pay for them. Two, he then doesn't drink. And then he's also lactose intolerant. So... (laughs) It was one of these things where someone which I really valued as an employee instantly had that moment of like, oh, does Sam not know me, understand me? Like, what's this about? And I think it was one of those times where it made me really go back to the drawing board and rethink all of the approach to how we were doing people management in the region, but also changing the content and the way that we're appearing on stage because it really flagged to me things such as like our content certain images don't work in certain markets. They're not necessarily appropriate. Certain languages, certain phrases, they're very colloquial in maybe the UK or the US. And it was funny, we often as a team say, oh, we're so US centric. How can we be more global? But then what we were doing from the UK was actually saying, oh no, this is the voice of international. But the reality is every market's different. And so I think for me, it's always been going on that journey now of making sure that every market that we operate in that we're appearing as locally friendly as possible. That is a really good one. Maybe the one of the best we've had actually. Okay, sorry, I get too excited. <laughs> we're talking about pay now. <laughs> it's competitive and you get a, a 15 pound lunch voucher every day. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, what has been your career highlight? I think highlight for me has to be some of the success I've had with some of my more junior team members. I think again, won't say their names, but some of the most proudest moments I've had is taking some graduates. And then four years later, they've turned into some of our best salespeople in the organization. And again, as much as I'd love to credit that all down to me, it's not the case. It's more building frameworks, helping them learn, helping them educate, and then mentoring them and supporting them into being fantastic business individuals. And I think for me, building talent and building that next generation who can help me with my job has been something which I take a lot of pride in. Very wholesome. Uh, What would be your dream project? Dream project for me would be taking over something that's a complete mess. I love inheriting stuff which is all over the place and you can come in, tear the hymn sheet up and kind of start again. I think often some of the most complex issues tear your hair out when you start with them, but they are the most rewarding 
when you get it right. I get that though, because you can kind of feel like you've actually done something rather than yeah. inherited like a successful working like, machine. So yeah, I get that. And our last question, why should we hire you? I think I'm incredibly passionate individual. I think I lead with empathy, but I'm also able to motivate teams and hold them to a high standard. And for me, success is making sure that the business is moving forward, not my own career. Okay. Pretty strong answers. It is. What do you think? Don't want to give away too much. Tom's <laughs> thumbing up and all that kind of stuff, but don't want to be too excited just having me in our no, I'm joking <laughs> now I think you got the job on this one that was great that was amazing it's an unpaid internship <laughs> like I said you can le learn from everything <laughs> no those are great answers honestly those are great great answers um, although my dog cost me a lot of money at the moment so <laughs> we may need to talk about the salary should we put dog care in the package yeah, as well I think for you yeah we Fantastic. will <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us today uh, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you I've learnt loads I think Will's learned loads as well. 100%. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> you've been listening to This Is How, created by Nominate and Liberty. If you've enjoyed this conversation and you're feeling inspired to develop your own digital skills, head over to thisishow.uk, where you can find more information on all the helpful tips and advice shared on today's podcast, as well as trying our new This Is How quiz to uncover more about what you're good at and what job roles could be a good match for you.